Relationships, we all experience them on some level. Uh, Sometimes we're on the receiving end and someone has slipped with their relationship working out with you. And sometimes you and I are on the other side and uh, we aren't, we're the, we're the ones that are uh, slipping up. So we all experience them. It doesn't matter who you are. We're always uh, in the middle or around something that has the possibility of uh, slipping up. And last week we started our week off and we started looking at some things. And this week we're going to be looking at relationships at work. And uh, we can be on the receiving end, we can be on the giving end of those, and we're going to be looking at some things that will help us kind of look, put work into perspective uh, so maybe there's less and less relationships at work as we try to figure out who the boss is. And, uh, you know, sometimes we're in those situations where uh, you and I might feel like this guy. <laughs> Sit down, Bob. I'm not happy, Bob. Not happy. Yes, Bob. Look at me when I'm talking to you, Par. That man out there, he needs help. Do not change the subject, Bob. We're discussing your attitude. He is getting mugged. Well, let's hope we don't cover him. I'll be right back. Stop right now, or you're fired! the door. Get over here now. I'm not happy, Bob. Not happy. He got away. Good thing, too. (laughs) You were this close to losing your... So, can you identify with Bob? Okay, uh, don't, uh, you know, if you work for somebody in this room right now, don't give me a big amen, but you can kind of, just kind of nod, wink at me. So, you, you, we've all been there where we've had a boss that, in a sense, we've liked to throw him through at least a wall or two, not as many as Bob did, but at least one or two. And then there's the other situation where sometimes those of us who have been in supervisory positions, maybe we're the boss, maybe we're just supervising somebody else, and we would like to, to kind of throw some of the people that are supposedly working for us, working with us, however you want to say it, through a, through a wall or two. Uh, have you ever been there? Now, again, if that person's in this room or that person's one of your, your spouse or something, you know, don't just kind of give me a little wink there. So we, we've all been there. We've all been in those situations where work is tough, and whether we're the employee or the employer or we're the receiver on the end, or it's a, even if it's a coworker, we're all in those places where all of a sudden there is just the right moment for some relation slips. Now, last week when we got started, uh, in part one, we looked at this idea, and this idea is really a common thread. A lot of times when we're doing a sermon series, uh, the message really is a standalone. It could stand on its own, but as we go through relation slips, we need to keep this in the back of our mind or in the forefront of our mind, and this was this idea, this concept. When our relationship with God slips, every other relationship 
slips. So as we walk our way through this, as we're going to look at work this week and next week, and uh, as we get, I get back from vacation, we'll continue on, look at marriage, kids, all those kinds of things. We have to remember that, yes, we can learn a few techniques with a message standing alone, but unless you and I really come to uh, a terms, working knowledge, experiencing God regular in our daily life, uh, it's going to be a lot harder to address these kinds of things for the long term. You and I may have the discipline to hold it together in an area, but that discipline may not last as long as we would like it. So it's primary that we realize that our relationship with God is, is so important. And again, you can catch up uh, with that if you want to uh, follow up and, and look at that. So as we start to unpack this idea of work, uh, we need to start with the concept of a brief theology of work. Now, I try to limit some of my churchy language or lingos or things like that, because sometimes uh, those of us who are newer to faith, we don't know what that all means. Uh, some of us who have been around church for a long while think we kind of know, but really couldn't define it. So I'd rather explain that than just leave that a, a little bit hidden. So this idea of theology is important. And so if you ever uh, have a word that I say or somebody else says and, and you want to find out what that really means, uh, shoot us an email because we'd love to explain it. Most of the time when we use one of those kinds of words, like oh, we'll define theology in a second, uh, we try to spell that out so we all know what we're talking about because sometimes in church world, just like if you're in a specific industry or area, your words are specific for that area and anybody on the outside really doesn't know what you're talking about. I don't know if you've ever experienced uh, somebody talking like these two guys. Bless his heart. I think he's backsliding. I think I saw him drink. Yeah, but in moderation. I just wasn't seeing much fruit. He's going down a slippery slope. How's your heart, man? How's your heart? I'm just such a words guy. It was a total God thing. I'm blessed. I've been working on my testimony. Is that secular music? We're opening with a secular song tonight. Wait, is this a secular song? Isn't she secular? Which station's The Fish? 104.3 The Fish. Safe for the whole family. You know he's a believer. I think he's saved. I just pray you'd give him traveling mercies. Mm. Pray for all Tyler's unspokens. Mm. Echo that. Just really like to echo Tyler's prayer, Father. I just, I echo that echo of my echo of his echo. I really feel like I'm being released from this, you know? I'm trying to be relevant. I'm just trying to be in the world, not of it. Hey, do you want to join our small group? You want to join my D group? You want to join my cell group, community group, access group, accountability group, Acts 27 group? Dude, he brought it. He brought the word. That service last night rocked me. They're pretty purpose-driven. Yeah, it's seeker. Don't they do seeker service there? I feel like he's gotten really watered down. I don't feel like he really teaches the word. There's not enough meat, you know? Are they non to non? We have a great Wednesday night supper. Let's invite some dudes over and fellowship tonight. We're gonna have a sweet time of fellowshipping tonight. Dude, we had the sickest fellowship last night. We're going to extreme. Velocity. Ignite. Yeah, I'm going to ignite. The edge. The dive. The bridge. The ramp. Fire. Courageous. Passion. Echo. Reverb. Noise. Velocity. Drive. Elevate. Radiate. 722. 635. 419. Orange. Blue. Yellow. Green. Clear. Neon. Catalyst conference this year. I don't do that because I feel like it ruins my witness. Been struggling with that. So I'm really wrestling with that. I'm wrestling with a doubt. Need someone to hold me accountable. I'm really trying to be intentional with her. I'm pursuing her for sure. I'm trying to guard her heart. Guard her heart, though, bro. Will you hold me accountable to that? Yeah. Well, bounce your ass. Bounce your ass. You ever been there? You ever heard those terms? You're going, what does that mean? 
Well, please, we try not to, to do that here. And again, if you hear some little phrase and it sounds like it's a, a foreign language, please ask us, and uh, we'd love to explain what that means and try to use common language that uh, people can understand. So when it comes to this word theology, a lot of us hear it and go, what is that? That's a God word, and that's about as far as it goes. But really, theology just simply means this, the study of faith, practice and experience, the study of God and God's relationship to the world. Now, you could, make that, you could make that definition three pages long or a book long, but for our extended purposes, uh, this is a working definition for theology. So when you hear somebody talk about theology, that's what they basically mean. Sometimes you hear the word doctrine, and doctrine is just a fancy word for teaching. Anytime you hear the word doctrine, you can stick teaching, and you go, wow, why don't they just use the word teaching? Because sometimes we like to you know, elevate things. Sometimes pastors just sit around all day trying to come up with complex things, so they look a little smarter or whatever. But anyway, so just an understanding of those kinds of words. So we're going to do a brief theology of work. So the first thing we need to realize is that work is a blessing, not a curse. Most of us have been conditioned that work is not a good thing. Most of us are conditioned that we cannot wait until we have enough money or we're old enough but still don't have enough money and we can retire and we can stop working. But when God had the concept of work, actually work was to be a blessing. Work was to be something that was good for us, something that expressed our humanity, that we, we work, we do something. We go all the way back to Genesis, and we see these verses that talk this way. God blessed them and said to them, have many children, fill the earth, take control of it, I'll make you trustees of my estate, so care for my creation. The idea here is that I am blessing you, and I'm blessing with you with something to do. A lot of times we think of the Garden of Eden, and we think it was like one super Caribbean cruise, you know? You're just sitting there, there's buffet meals, there's, you know, lounge chairs, unlimited food, unlimited drink, unlimited everything, and you just kind of hang out there, and woo, it's great to be in the Garden of Eden, this is awesome. But no, that isn't what it was about. When before sin came into the scene, before Adam and Eve did what they thought was best rather than what God thought was best, they had free will. Before they did all that, there was this blessing of work. So when you and I think about work, think about expressing who God has made us to be, we need to look at work as a blessing. Told you this story probably once before. Um, one time I was at this pastor's conference, and we were in line for the meal, and uh, there were two older guys ahead of me, semi-retired-looking guys, and they were talking about what it was like to be semi-retired. They weren't working full-time in a church any longer, and they were enjoying it. And then they brought up this other guy's name, and I don't remember what his name was, but they, let's just call him Bob, all right? So they brought up Bob's name, and they said, oh, isn't it too bad about Bob? And I'm kind of eavesdropping as I'm getting my food. And they said, you know, Bob, yeah, yeah, yeah. He, when he retired, he said he was done. 
He hit 65. He was going to play golf. He was going to move to Florida and just live for himself. It was finally time. He had done the church thing for, you know, 30, 40 years, and he was just ready to retire and just not do anything else but be retired. And then they shook their heads and go, yeah, it's too bad. And uh, you heard that, you know, Bob has passed away. And, and then they said, yeah, it's probably because, you, you know, he just, he just stopped working. And when he stopped working, there was just, there was just nothing else for him to do. And, and he's gone now. And so there is this idea, and you kind of sometimes see it, where somebody retires and disengages from, from offering who they are. And uh, all of a sudden, their life shrivels up. Some of us know those people that um, are involved in life, and they're getting older and older, and they still continue to work and work and work. And you go, when, when are they going to stop? And all of a sudden, someone might say, I think if they stop doing anything, that would be kind of the end of their life. I see that with my father. You know, he's 89, and you know, he likes mowing the lawn, likes getting out in the garden, and he can physically do it, and he likes helping. He's not working, working per se, but he is engaged. He's doing stuff, and it keeps him young. Um, right now, he's dealing with a bunny plague in his, in his neighborhood. The bunnies are driving him nuts. They're eating his garden. It's never been this way before. With squirrels, it was deer, but now it's bunnies. But anyway, but he's just engaged with everything going on. This idea that we're to try to free ourselves from working is a foreign idea. There's always something. There's always something for us to do. There's something for us to express who we are. Isn't it great if you can get to the point where you don't need to get paid to work, but in a sense you can still offer yourself and do some things and engage and kind of live for other people. So work is a blessing. It is not a curse. Then the other thing you say, well, wait, you haven't seen my job. You don't know what my job is all about. Well, we also have to realize that every job stinks. You go, what? You said it was a blessing. Now you're saying every job stinks. If you go back to Genesis, back to Adam and Eve, you're going to see that, yes, they had a job before they went their own way, and then when they went their own way, there was this sin came into the world, selfishness, brokenness, all those kinds of things came into the world, and uh, even our work had a stink factor to it. It wasn't going to be all you know, roses. There was going to be parts of it that really are hard. And we read this in uh, chapter 3, verse 17. Then God said to the man, I command you not to eat from that tree, but he went ahead and did it. But you listened to your wife and ate from it. Also, he did listen to his wife. And so uh, he should have probably said no, but he, he didn't. Uh, so I will curse the ground because of you. You will have to work hard all of your life for the food the ground produces. The ground will grow thorns and weeds for you, and you will have to eat the plants that grow wild in the fields. In other words, yes, you used to have to work, but now you're going to have to really have to uh, sweat over your work. You see, there was a switch. So no matter who you are, no matter what you're going through, there's always going to be a piece of your job that's just not fun. You have to understand that. If you're looking for a job that's going to be perfectly fun, nice, wonderful all the time, you're never going to find it. You're probably going to live unsatisfied in that work element. Now, I have a couple friends that would say they've gotten to the place in life where they uh, get to do what exactly what they want to do, and they're working, they're, they're producing. Uh, one of my friends is just in his 80s, and he's on the go all the time. 
And he might be the exception to that rule, but for most of us, for the rest of our life, when we're working, when we're doing, there's going to be downsides to that. We just need to understand that. Verse 19, you will work hard for your food until your face is covered with sweat. You will work hard until the day you die, and then you will become dust again. I use dust to make you, and when you die, you will become dust. Well, pretty depressing. But the idea here is that work is hard. Yes, work is a blessing, but there's also this downside to it. For farmers, you have weeds. For the rest of us, we have Murphy's Law. You're probably familiar with this, Murphy's Law. Nothing is as easy as it looks. Everything takes longer than you expect. If anything can go wrong, it will go wrong. And at the worst possible moment, you get that. That's a part of life. So if we're looking for that not to exist, if we're looking for Murphy's Law just to disappear, that, that's not, not going to happen. So we have to understand that, yes, work is a blessing, work is a gift, but there also are parts of it that really, really stink. Now, for the Christian, Christians don't take jobs, per se. They are on assignment. The first time this idea was really drilled down into my heart, I was probably in my mid-20s, and there was this retired missionary. She was a single lady. She had been in Kenya for, I don't know, seemed like a thousand years, but it was probably only 20 years, and she had retired. And um, she, was, she was now teaching a class or two at this little Bible college on missions and doing all these other kinds of things and doing a little uh, mentoring and that kind of a thing. And uh, she would always say in her conversations when something was changing in her life, I wonder what God God's new assignment is for me. She looked at her life as there was just one assignment after another. So her work was an assignment from God. Uh, her next thing was an assignment from God. And as she got older and her health failed, she moved from the great metropolis of Portland, Maine, which is a nice city, but it's not huge, up to Dexter, Maine, Dexter Shoes, but that was way up there. And she uh, had a, a, a family member who had a little mobile home for her, and that's where she lived, and her health was failing. But her next assignment was to be there, and then she wrote her memoirs. This lady was always doing something. You see, she looked his life as one assignment after the other. So if you and I are a Christ follower, we understand that work is a gift, we understand that there's going to be parts that really stink when it comes to work. But we also have to realize that if we're a Christ follower, God has assignments for us. Paul writes of this when he says, Nevertheless, each person should live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has assigned to them. Just as God has called them this is the rule I lay down in all the churches. Again, it doesn't say a few of you. It doesn't say most of you. It says each one of you. If you've said yes to Jesus, if you're connected with God, God has an assignment for you. And at first some of us go, ooh, another job. No, we should say, ooh, another opportunity. God's not finished with you yet. doesn't matter who you are. doesn't matter as long as you have a breath left, you have an assignment. And, and there's actually this idea of called. 
Sometimes we think, oh, just the missionaries are called. Just the pastor's called. No, just the leadership's called. All of us, if we said yes to Christ, have a part to play, an assignment, a task, or whatever you want to call it, a job to do. And he doesn't say, this is a guideline I lay down, this is an idea, this is a concept. He says, rule. Most of us don't like the word rule. I don't like the word rule. But Paul is driving home the concept that if you're a Christ follower, you always have something to offer. There's always an assignment. And again, going back to Bunny Foss, I used to love how she would always, that was the first thing in her mind. She'd go, I wonder what God's assignment is for you. Sometimes we'd be talking to you or for me. And it was whatever was unfolding. She looked at it as not by chance. So if you have a, a terrible job, a job you can't stand, a job that is super duper stinky, you have one of those kinds of jobs, there is some kind of assignment in there. And she would, she would kind of wring that sponge for every drop she could get out of it and see her assignment. And when you and I live this way, it changes our relationships because we now look, wherever we're working, whatever we're doing, as an assignment. We look at God's called us. So we look at, wow, I have something to contribute. I actually have some value. I have something to offer to this situation. And then you come back, work and assignment is a blessing. And that is just fantastic. All of us, again, I can't, I can't stress this enough. No matter who you are, no matter what your limitations are, uh, whatever they could be, you and I all have an assignment. And that's not to burden us down. That's to lift us up. Everyone has value and has something to offer. So as we think about this theology of work, this is kind of the backdrop as we get into this idea of uh, relationships. So what happens when you're not the boss? We're going to look at when you're the boss, when you're not at the boss. Next week, uh, we'll look at when you're not at the boss. So uh, give you a little background on this. Well, let's read the passage first, and I'll give you a little background on what it looked like when Paul said these things in his world. Servants, in some cases you'll read that that's translated slaves. Servants, obey your masters in everything. Obey all the time, even when they can't see you. Don't just pretend to work hard so that they treat you well. No, you must serve your masters honestly because you respect the Lord. So when we look at this word, we, we, when we come to scriptures... We look at what the, the, the writer was saying for that time. What, what did this mean to them? Now, we need to remember in Paul's day, 70% or 60% of the population were slaves. 60%. It wasn't always a, a race thing. Often, it was a conquered thing. If Rome came in and conquered you, they would ship out the teachers, the skilled workers, uh, we might say the nurses, the doctors, 
the policemen, whatever your skill was, they would ship you out and send you somewhere else, and now you were a slave. So you weren't just working your job, you, were, you had a master. And this was about 60% of the population. It wasn't, that, that was just huge. Now, in there was also some cases where some people actually liked being slave servants because some households were a great place to be a servant. Uh, some of these households in Roman world, some were horrible, obviously, but some actually, they would take care of you in your old age. So if you were, um, you know, at the, at the household, you know, this household down the street and they were well-known, you might actually say, you know, they have a good track record. I, I'm having trouble um, feeding myself, keeping a roof over. If I go be a servant, a slave for that household, if I give myself to them, then they will take care of me for the rest of my life. And not often, but occasionally, some people w- would actually do that. Uh, some people were born into slavery. If, they were, if their parents were slaves and they were born into a household, they, they became a slave. And so even you've got some stories where Paul's talking to some people and trying to figure out whether Paul uh, was, was a free man and he was a Roman citizen. His dad uh, was, was most likely Roman. Uh, and then you have some other, other uh, people saying, how did you get your freedom? And, and that kind of a thing. So um, again, this is the world they lived in. So if we look to what the message was for them, then what we need to look at and see what are the timeless principles what, what are the things that uh, you and I can apply? What was timeless? What, is, what transcends to 2020? So a couple things we can, we can look at. First of all, that uh, we need to follow the lead of our employers. Ooh, no one likes that. The idea is if we're to obey our masters back in Paul's day, how does that transcend today? How does that fit today? We need to do what our leaders, our, our employers do. Uh, we need to do what they want us to do when they don't see us. Oh, I don't really like that one at all. I mean, well, I can kind of go through the motions when they're around, and I can kind of work. I remember I worked on this farm as a kid, and... Uh, the uh, farmer would drop us off of the field. It was a vegetable farm, and he'd want us to pick something or weed something, and he'd be there with us, and we'd start going, and all of a sudden he'd disappear and go off to go look at something else, and all of a sudden the work level, the intensity of us uh, kids would just kind of go, Ooh. and then all of a sudden, I don't know, about an hour later, Mario would turn up again. Sometimes he would just drive by and yell at us, hey, I want to see... I can't say both words you would say, but I want to see something and elbows. You're now going, what does that mean? He wanted to see us bent over and see our rear ends up in the air because we were working. So he would drive by and say that, and we'd start working a little harder. Other times he would come alongside us and and join us. Uh, But when he wasn't there, the quality of our work went down. And so this idea that Paul's timeless truth is when the boss is there, the supervisor there, or when he's not there, our quality of work doesn't change. And when that happens, relationships, especially with our employer, changes. Also, the idea of serve your master honestly, being honest with our, you know, if working for the wage that we're getting, 
sometimes some of us feel like we're being gypped a little bit, so we think they're underpaying us, so we might say, well, you know, they really don't pay us what I'm worth, so, you know, I should really be making 20% more, so I'm going to work 20% less. Paul's saying that's not what a Christ follower does, because remember, this is an assignment. This is an assignment, and God has given you that assignment. And then he ends with this idea, because you respect the Lord, because you respect God. So in a sense, when you and I are working this way, we're doing it because not because of our employer directly. That might be indirect. We're doing this because of the Lord himself. So when you and I are serving, when we're working fully engaged, then we're showing respect to God. So couple points out of that as we've kind of talked through that is, is one thing, and you kind of gather this, is do what you're paid to do. Do what you're paid to do. So if you're paid to do this, then you do it. If you're paid to watch paint dry, then you watch paint dry. It's, you're getting paid for that. So whatever they say to do, I don't care how boring it is, I don't, whatever it is, you and I are to do what we're being paid to do. Another idea that comes along with this, in every area and every time. We, 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 don't, we don't back off. We, we, don't, we, we don't do half our job. We do it well because, again, we are looking at this as an assignment. This isn't a punishment to do this job. And we are honoring God by the way we respond to it. Also, if it's sinful, don't do it. So if we're respecting God and our employer asks us to do something that lacks integrity, that's dishonest, we're not to do it. Now, every situation is a little different how you handle that. The summer before Cindy and I were getting married, I was working for a company, and they had two businesses and one business was being sold off, and the other business they were keeping. And the business was being sold off. I was doing a little bit for them, a little bit for the business that wasn't being sold off. And there was this transition period. And my boss, who originally owned both businesses, was kind of sharing me between the business that was being sold off and the business that he had. And he said, and he wanted, and he was not... He didn't mince words about this. He was direct about this. He says, when you turn in your hours, bill more of your hours to the business that's being sold off because they were paying my paycheck. And I was just thinking about this. I was going, wait a minute. If I work 10 hours for you and, you know, five hours for them, I can't say I worked five hours for you on my team timesheet and 10 hours for them. I was probably, well, I would have been about 22. And so I had worked for this guy a couple summers during college. And finally, I had to have a conversation with him and said, I cannot do that. And he said to me, well, I raised your, your hourly wage on purpose, knowing that, you know, I wouldn't have to be paying that big, you know, and he went on for all these things. I cannot do that. I can't do that. He told me I had no right to tell him how to run his business. I was saying, I am not telling you how to run your business. I'm just saying I can't bill my hours that I work for your part of the company to the other part of the company because that is not honest. 
And so he said, thank you very much. I said, thank you very much. And that was the end of that job. So you've got to work through that. If you're going to respect God, you do things that are right. Now, what about those times that aren't sinful, that are just like watching paint dry? If it's silly, do it well. They're paying you. doesn't matter. Do what they want you to do. If there's, a, if there's a better way to do it, and you're not at the place where you can actually express that, then you do it the way they say to do it. They're, they're paying you. Now, what happens when you and I act this way, eventually, as someone sees us working well, and we gain respect, eventually, there's a respectful way to say, hey, you have me doing it this way. Have you ever thought about me doing it this way? Now, sometimes they might have tried that other way, and it didn't work. You're not as smart as you think you are. Not as smart as I think. Other times, it is a better way. But if you've been respectful with them, if your attitude's been good with them, if you haven't been rolling your eyes to all the other employees every time they tell you to do something, you'll find that you have a better opportunity for them to listen to you. Those of us who are parents, sometimes we've asked our kids to do things that don't make sense. At least once. It's a little silly. And if our kid comes at us with all attitude and points that out, we're a little resistant to the input, aren't we? We need to see through that, but we're a little resistant to that. But if our kid is respectful most of the time, if we, you know, they're respectful to us, when they say, hey, but dad, did you think about this? Your heart is just a little bit more open to listen to them. So if it's silly, do it well. Tying that all together, have a great attitude or fake a great attitude. And you're going to say, wow, that does not sound too honest. Have a great attitude or fake a great attitude. This doesn't mean that you're disgenuous. This doesn't mean that you're, in a sense, um, kissing up to the boss. But there's this idea that sometimes it is hard. But to be pleasant, to, to, to have a great attitude instead of a bad attitude, or it is, again, it just helps us earn our credibility with that person. Um, I don't know about you, but there's sometimes I, when, when the kids were growing up, you know, and they didn't feel like emptying the dishwasher, taking out the trash or whatever, they didn't feel like it. And uh, it it really didn't matter. They needed to fake a good attitude and take the trash out. There's been probably my best two stories about faking a good attitude is involved in speaking. One time I was uh, preaching, and every once in a while I get a migraine headache. And when I get a migraine headache, some of you have had those, my vision gets a little blurry. And so I was speaking. I was speaking at another church, and I didn't want to make a big deal about it. My head was like, exploding inside, and I'm just smiling, you know, doing my thing. But then all of a sudden, I had trouble reading my notes and the slides. I said, I do not want to make this a big deal. So I just kind of like went through and did it and sat down and finished the message. And, you know, in a sense, I was faking it. There were times where you're at work and you don't feel good and you, you just, you know, you put a happy face on. So have a great, and that, again, earns trust with, with the other person. Um, Unfortunately, by the time it was time for me to drive home, my vision cleared up because at that point, I, I wasn't going to be driving anywhere, but I just didn't want to make it a big deal. Another time, I was doing, getting ready to do a funeral, and the same thing happened. 
And at a funeral, it's a little harder, but thankfully the Lord was gracious and it went away and I was able to read my notes because I couldn't have uh, done that without that. So Paul says this, he says, For we are to live our lives with pure hearts in the constant awe and wonder of our Lord. And if you and I are a Christ follower, we're not always like happy-go-lucky, but if we're a Christ follower and we take time to reflect on God's goodness to us, we ought to have a lot of times where we're living in constant awe and wonder of our Lord God. It should blow your mind away, it blows my mind away, then I realize God loves me. We sang a song about that, that God loves me in spite of myself. I just can't believe it. I can't believe that God sent his son to pay for my disobedience, to pay for my sin. I, 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 can't, I can't believe that, that he did that. And uh, that just blows my mind. Because I have trouble being nice to people that are just a little bit not nice to me. Don't you? There's a lot of times where I'm not really nice in respecting God, and yet he loves me in spite of that. So there are days where I'm very mindful and I live in an awe and wonder that God actually loves Dave Spencer. And so that changes my attitude. So even if life is coming at me hard, if I don't feel good or whatever, I can have a, a great attitude, even though all these circumstances are around me, because I'm in wonder that God even wanted to have a relationship with me, a connection with me. So as we're thinking about this, but that doesn't mean when it comes to a workplace that if you and I are in a place where it's just not going well, maybe, maybe, the, maybe the boss or maybe the opportunity, it's just this friction and tension all that time, you're trying to have the best attitude, it doesn't, ma it doesn't mean you can't go out and find a better job and take it. Uh, you know, in Paul's day, that was really difficult for, for a slave. Sometimes they would earn their freedom, have their freedom. So God, Paul is not saying you're stuck where you're at. If you can find a better job, you can find another opportunity, that's great. We read in 1 Corinthians, so everyone should continue to live faithful in the situation of life in which they were called to follow Jesus. So wherever they're at, they're faithful. Whether you're a were you a slave when you heard the call to follow Jesus, don't let that concern you. Even if you gain your freedom, make the most of the opportunity. So the idea here is that we need to look at where we're at. We need to accept where we're at. Yes, we need to look at things on the horizon and maybe we change it up. But uh, we can find another job, yes. Um, but if we can't find another job, a better job, we, we ought to quit complaining. We ought to, we ought to complete, complete, quit whining about it. Um, you know, making it a bigger deal. Sometimes you and I say, well, I deserve more pay. You probably do, but you don't get any more pay. I deserve this, I deserve that, I should be here, I should be there. Y yeah. So if you can find another job, get another job. But if you can't get another job, take the assignment from God and live faithful in that assignment. Because we need to always be remembering that we are on assignment. If you're a Christ follower, you are on assignment. 
God's giving us assignments, giving us opportunities. Sometimes they're not in the best scenario, so we live faithfully in that scenario. We lean into God in that scenario. If there's a better opportunity and we can change it, we do that. But until we can, we live faithfully in that scenario. Paul writes, we're Christ's representatives. Now there are verses that say, we're Christ's ambassadors. God uses us to persuade men and women to drop their differences and enter into God's work of making things right between them. And so what's amazing is the assignments that you and I have are actually being used by God to touch other people's lives. And how you and I function in that affects their persuasion. We're a role model. We're we're living out our faith. And when you and I can live out our faith faithfully, uh, it touches people's lives. I don't know whatever happened to uh, that boss that I said, no, I know what's happened to him, but in a sense that um, I don't know what that did inside his heart, but I still actually have contact with him a little bit because his son is a good friend of mine. And so I always wonder what that's done in his heart. And I pray that as I've been faithful in his presence, even when I had to say I can't do that because I I think that's wrong, but I, I, I did it as respectfully as possible, I hope and pray that someday that will touch his heart and that will change what's happened in his life. I'm not going to take a time to look at this, but if we went back and again looked at Joseph, we would see this is the way Joseph lived. We'd also see that this is the way Daniel lived. So when you and I think about our lives, when we think about relationships, we have to ask ourselves constantly, who's the boss? Who's the one over us? Is it that boss? Or is it really the boss? And how we respond in that will affect our relationships. And as we remember that we're on assignment, it doesn't matter who our boss is, as we navigate that, as we walk through that, we can actually find that God uses some of those most difficult employment work situations to somehow point to him. And we can also find that God always has value for our lives, no matter where we are, because he's called us to a specific assignment. Would you please pray with me? Grace Heavenly Father, we just uh, thank you for your love for us. We're thankful that you uh, love us so much that you gave your son for us so that we could have a relationship with you. Uh, Sometimes it's hard to even fathom what that means, but we're thankful that you want to be connected to us, that you loved us first. And Father, we ask that you would help us to continue to grow in this area of understanding that you give each one of us, once we've said yes to you, an assignment, and that ultimately you are the boss, and that you can give us joy and strength even in those situations that are hard to, in a sense, uh, take but you can give us those. So we just uh, thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.